Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health, lifestyle. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast. The show about food, lifestyle, medicine, and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor. I study nutrition, and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best life. All right, so this is going to be another podcast episode on mental well-being. This is the second of a two-part series on the mental health goal of the app. If you remember, a couple of weeks ago, I did uh, the first part, which is basically looking at the connections between nutrition and mental well-being. So we looked at protective nutrients, we looked at eating patterns, we looked at the foods to reduce. Well, this is the second element of it. And I think I don't think it's unique to mental well-being, but I think it's more obvious in mental well-being that it's going to be a lot more than just your diet and your exercise regimes that are going to have an impact. And so I wanted to do something a little bit different. So instead of me orating into the mic, as I've done in previous episodes, or the traditional podcast, which is me having a chat with someone and you listening in, this is an opportunity to break down those barriers and actually get you guys and an almost like crowdsourcing ideas of how your experiences can potentially be relevant and useful for other people. What works for me, for example, going to sleep early, waking up, meditating, all the rest of it might be wholly inconvenient or even ineffective for certain people. And so I think through the process of shared experiences, we could do something a bit fun and a bit different on today's episode. So if you are a newsletter subscriber to the Eat, Read, Listen newsletter, a weekly newsletter where I share something to eat, something to read, something to listen, or even something to watch, you know, if you're lucky, um, uh, every week. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I put a call out uh, called Giving You Guys the Mic. And I asked you for tips, um, barriers, uh, what your experiences of improving your mental health uh, have been uh, in the hope that you would 
allow us to share these on the podcast. And uh, a few of you have, and it's, I mean, the response has been brilliant. Um, and I, I can't wait to introduce you to some of our community members. And if, you, if you're not part of that newsletter, do join. You can find find at thedoctorskitchen.com forward slash newsletter because I, depending on the success of this episode, I certainly want to do this a lot more because it was great to really have a genuine connection with, with some of you who took the time, who I'm very appreciative, uh, uh, who took the time to uh, share uh, some audio and even some video as well. Um, so that's that. Uh, th- th- this is what this episode is going to be about. We're, we're going to talk about a few concepts here. Interoception, which I'll explain in, in, in a little bit. The beauty and the pleasure of food and why that's super, super important. I am going to recap the main takeaways from the research that has allowed us to uh, import that uh, those elements into our simple but smart algorithm that allows filtering of the recipes on the app for the mental health goal. And I also want to introduce some tips and hacks from the community about how to instill these values in your day-to-day. This is going to be, I hope, an awesome pod where you're going to learn a whole bunch of tips. So you might want to pause this and take notes at the same time. I don't know. But for now, listen in. I'm, I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. To start off with, I think it's important uh, to be aware of the latest nutritional science uh, around whatever health goal that you're trying to optimize for, in this case, mental well-being, right? So there's a bunch of studies, nutritional psychiatry, which is a burgeoning field, uh, and it's really interesting to find out about how improving your gut microbiota can improve mental well-being, how inflammation control can improve general well-being as well as mental well-being, how certain uh, micronutrients, as long as they uh, are optimized in the context of everything else, can potentially support a healthy mindset. But there's also an intuition when it comes to food. And in some ways, as unscientific as it might sound, there are uh, ways in which you can tap into what your body needs without having to follow the latest findings in nutritional science. We have this inherent uh, barometer, a detector of how we feel and how we react when we consume uh, a particular food. So today I want to look at our ability, or to start off with, our ability to listen to our internal organs through the cues and signals that they send. And trust me, they are sending you signals every time you consume something, drink something, uh, sit down to eat. That There are a ton of cues and signals that are constantly being communicated to you consciously and subconsciously as well. And so let's look at food through a more integrative lens, giving consideration to things like the pleasure associated with eating and sharing meals. We also asked our lovely newsletter subscribers uh, about their experience of this as well. Um, We were also asking them about the barriers they face and some practical tips as well, as I said. So let's let's talk about interoception. So when we asked newsletter subscribers for tips to make healthy habits easier, some of you already talked about this concept of being aware and listening to information or cues from the body. So let's listen to some of those audio clips and I can comment on them uh, afterwards. My biggest tip for healthy eating would be kind of around um, eating intuitively. But by that, I mean listening to your body um, and really kind of homing in on those hunger cues. I come more and more to realize is that... uh... All uh, these uh, practices, uh, these um, 
mental health uh, hygiene uh, habits are related somehow to information and uh, from moment to moment uh, on a daily basis a choice um, as to where is this uh, information coming from from the outside or a bit more uh, awareness and conscious attention paid to uh, information coming from the inside and obviously um, some kind of a conversation between uh, the two sources of, uh, of information. So uh, this is something I'm starting to explore a bit more uh, as uh, I uh, continue uh, these practices. That's Che and Jalia there. Thank you so much. And this is what I wanted to start today's conversation with, the importance of paying attention to information from the inside, body cues and signals about what's going on in your organs, and I believe this is particularly relevant when it comes to diet and mental health, not only to ensure a good relationship with, with food, but also to learn how to respond to your internal needs and give your brain and body what it needs to feel good and function well. And it's the sensing of what's going on inside the body referred to as interoception, which is an emerging field of neuroscience and psychology. And it's absolutely fascinating. And just to clarify this, I think the opposite of interoception, exteroception, will we'll give you some uh, grounding in what we're talking about here. So exteroception is our ability to sense the outside world, vision, touch, hearing, smell, taste. These are our senses. And it's it's a bit of a misnomer. I think it's called a bit of confusion because we think of our senses as uh, those attributes of our body that allow us to sense the outside world. But actually we have the, being able to sense the internal side of us, the, our internal systems is just as important. And it's the sensing of what's going on in our organs that I believe we've sort of lost because we're constantly being distracted. We'll come on to that in a bit. Now, the importance of learning how to almost relearn as to how to pay attention to what's going on inside the body, something that we perhaps would have done intuitively uh, years ago and, and how to respond to these signals, I believe could be very important for both mental well-being and eating healthier in general. And a clue that suggests that the role of interoception, the fancy word for what I just described, in mental health is that researchers observed dysfunctional interoception in many mental health conditions. So having an anxiety disorder, for example, or depression or a mood disorder or an eating disorder often comes with difficulties in sensing what is going on inside the body. We've done a reference uh, section to, to the studies that I'm referring to. So you can check that out on the uh, podcast show notes page. And I think this is a very important field of research because it could provide us with more ways to understand treat and manage mental health problems that affect many people around the world. One of the many tools, I'm not saying that interoception is the tool, but it's certainly something that we could use a lot more effectively and is currently being ignored. So let's break down basically what's, what's going on when it comes to responding to body signals. So there are two aspects to interoception. First of all, it's how our brain senses what is happening in our organs, whether it's our, our gut or our, our heart or whatever it might be. The second bit is how it listens, interprets, and responds to these signals. So first, the brain senses what is going on, uh, for example, in our digestive system. And th this is really cool because what is happening in other organs is being represented 
in the brain. So the movements of the stomach uh, are all signaling to certain areas of the brain where it's being interpreted and it's eliciting a response as well. So what goes on, let's focus on the gut here. What goes on in your gut is influencing neural activity, which can guide feelings, cognition, emotional state. In fact, neuroimaging studies have found that there is spontaneous brain activity depending on the slow electrical rhythm generated by the stomach. So there is this real communication that's going on. I think we've discussed the gut-brain axis before, this bi-directional communication highway. And this is being represented uh, by some of those neuroimaging studies. And there's there's a lot of evidence now to suggest that there is communication beyond just your, your brain and your gut. It's actually happening uh, across multiple organs. And so these particular signals are integrated within specific areas of the brain, and these can modulate brain responses associated with all those different things that we just mentioned. One of the channels that we should double click on is the gut microbiome or the gut microbiota, this, this community of microbes in the gut that we talk about fairly often. And it appears that the alterations in the gut microbiota population can impact the function of major brain centers. Now, we've talked about the role of diet shaping the gut environment, particularly the gut microbiota, and that a poor diet, uh, one that's lacking in nutrients or rich in processed foods or high in inflammatory oils, for example, can cause alterations and excessive inflammation of the gut, which is which is see not good and, and the inverse is true a, a diet that's rich in protective nutrients and fiber can promote a healthy gut environment so this basically raises the hypothesis that the the food we eat can shape the gastric signals that gu guide neural activity emotions and feelings via the gut microbiota so what we eat influences the gut microbiota changes the signals that are generated which therefore changes the way our brain receives those signals and then elicits a response in our feelings, cognition, uh, and, and, and general activity. Another potential route by which diet can influence our mental state. I think for regular listeners of the podcast, this is fairly easy to understand as we, we talk about this a, a lot on the, on the podcast pretty much every week. The second part of interoception is our ability to pay attention. This is something I probably don't spend as much time on. Uh, we spoke to Cal Newport a couple of weeks ago uh, about our constant context switching. So every day we have multiple things. There might be apps, there might be people, there might be our own internal thoughts that are grabbing our attention and pulling it in different ways, which makes it very, very hard to find pockets of time to pause and pay attention to your body's sensations. And it matters because studies have found that interoception awareness can influence your eating behavior as well as the response to what you're eating. You can think of the importance of interoception as the importance of aligning with your body needs and what your responses and cues are as well. And so when you when you have a mismatch of that alignment of listening to your body needs with the external behavior, then that can lead to some issues. And actually, there's some interesting research. Most research looks at how much we eat rather than what we eat, but they found that 
people with mental health conditions had a decreased ability to sense body signals that modified their eating behavior. And the ultimate result was they often ate more than what was needed. Now, this is a massive generalization, and I, I, I struggled to find uh, representation and, and uh, replication of these studies. But it stands to reason that if there's a mismatch between responding to your internal body cues, then that may lead to overeating and certain types of foods as well. So they struggled to listen to the cues of hunger and satiety that can result in overeating. So that's just one element of interoception that can be quite interesting. My hunch is that we may see these effects extend to food choices as well. So not just about the amount of food, but actually the type of food. And it could be that the way we respond or the way we don't respond to our, our, our cues could lead to less healthy food choices. So just to put everything in context to keep you anchored to what I'm talking about here, diet can influence the signals, the signals which are sent to the brain and our ability to listen to those signals can, or inability to listen to those signals can also shape our eating behavior. So that's the general trail of thought. Now, the research is still pretty sparse, and these are hypotheses based on available evidence, but it is interesting to see where the field of interoception crosses paths with nutrition and mental well-being. And, and what researchers are suggesting as therapies and strategies aimed at improving awareness of the mind-body connection is that these this is sort of like the forgotten element of nutritional medicine and their practices that i think intuitively a lot of people are talking about hence why i opened up the mic in the discussion because these mindfulness-based stress reduction techniques yoga meditation movement-based therapies these are things that you guys are already talking about and you guys are already talking about within the context of how you eat and your relationship with food my overall point is um Sometimes uh, I think that rather than just giving people information about the latest scientific developments and, you know, what kind of things that we should be eating, an additional strategy or maybe the strategy is to improve awareness of our own body cues and attend to some of those sensations that we can then interpret as what our body is actually craving and make the right choices based on that. It's easier said than done. But some of the things that you guys have already been talking to me about in terms of um, uh, breathing sessions, uh, meditation, being present, uh, taking time away from your devices that lead to distraction and context switching, these are things that will allow you to tap into more of the mind-body connection that can ultimately lead you to make better choices uh, that suit your needs. And I think this, in an era of personalization where we're looking uh, increasingly externally for barometers of uh, how we should act and what we should eat, etc. And I'm not saying those aren't useful. I'm, uh, they're very useful. I use some trackers myself. But I think the ultimate tracker uh, is the collection of incredibly, incredibly advanced technology that we have in our bodies already. Um, you know, when we think about baroreceptors, chemoreceptors, all these different things that allow your body to regulate temperature, regulate hormones, uh, regulate uh, uh, your electrolytes, uh, the, the different types of uh, molecules you have in your body, all at a subconscious level, 
it's it, it's a pretty incredible machinery that we already have. And I think a lot of times our body is telling something, but because we're constantly being distracted, it can be quite hard to interpret or even pay attention to those signals. So that's that's the overall uh, concept I'd want to leave you with. Let, let's uh, get some more um, practices from you guys because there's a there's a bunch of things that I, I even I'm going to start introducing myself. First would be having herbal tea like chamomile or lavender or lemon balm and having a mindful moment whilst making it and drinking it. I like to do gratitude exercises throughout the day, really, but especially at night when I'm in bed, I, I drift off to sleep. A Qigong um, meditation and exercises that are quite related to the two uh, previous uh, habits. I would had uh, I would had a, a fourth one would be uh, water. Uh, water does help a lot uh, in the morning. So I take an evening walk. It doesn't have to be long. It can be five minutes, but as long as I'm outside in nature, that's the most important thing for me. I find that it's something that I look forward to every day and I really enjoy being outside for a little bit. You just heard from B, Najma, Jayla, and Divya. Thanks for those contribution, guys. So let's talk about another aspect of food that I think we give little attention to, and that is the pleasure of eating. And I think there is a myth going around given how busy our lifestyles are, that nutrition is purely there for fuel and to support our physiology. Now, I think that's fundamentally wrong. I think the pleasure of food is hardwired into our brain such that we have circuits that release dopamine such that it rewards that behavior. So I think the pleasure of eating is something we really need to lean into in the same way we have pleasure in communities, pleasure in procreation, pleasure in having moments with loved ones. Anyone who's come across my work in the past or, or whatever, you know, will, will understand that eating is not simply the ingestion of a nutrient mix. Otherwise, we'd just all be eating astronaut food. And, and whilst I appreciate that there are solutions out there for busy individuals, it should never really be seen as a replacement for food or that food should be seen as an inconvenience because food is not just a tool for health. It's an important pleasure for life. It's a, an important tool to allow us to connect with others and be present in the moment, for example. So food isn't really something that should be sidelined. It should be something that I think is a central feature uh, of life. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a foodie myself. I, I certainly appreciate that not everyone is interested in food to the same uh, degree as, as someone like myself. But it is something that I think is deeply central uh, to being human in the same way connection with other humans is again deeply uh, uh rooted in in being human which is why loneliness is associated with negative outcomes for example a lot of you probably because we're a self-selecting audience here of people who are on the newsletter talked about sharing tips to make healthier habits easier and a lot of you described how to make healthy eating easier and i just wanted to showcase a tip from one of our subscribers here have fun cooking, eat vibrant, colorful foods that are nutrient dense, 
um, and also have fun with that. You know, be curious, cook something you cook all the time in a different way, um, explore the endless possibilities of what one ingredient can turn out at the end. That was one of our subscribers, Mercy. Thank you, Mercy. I want to expand on this view uh, because it, it really leans into the Epicurean perspective, the Epicurean being a person who's devoted to the sensual enjoyment, especially that derived from fine food and drink, uh, derived from being a disciple of the Greek philosopher Epicure. I certainly see myself as Epicurean. And this eating or the act of eating is a pleasurable experience derived from the aesthetic appreciation of the sensory and symbolic value of food. And it goes hand in hand with moderation, health and well-being. I love this. I love this Epicurean view because I think it's, again, something that historic is historically relevant and is deeply, deeply human. Researchers define this experiential pleasure of food as a sustainable expansion of this philosophical approach. And it's this lasting cognitive and emotional value that we get from savoring food as multisensory, communal and ultimately a cultural experience. And it involves a few steps around food. So I want you to to sort of listen to this uh, with a with a bit more a bit more gusto. <laughs> Anticipation of food events, creation of food events, degustation, i.e., the tasting, and remembrance. And if I just think of those four things, it's something I like. I probably do most days. I anticipate food events. I'm like, what am I having for dinner? What am I having for lunch? What 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 a, a, a amazing food am I going to enjoy? The creation of said event or said food. You know, how, how am I structuring my mise en place? Uh, what ingredients am I using? Uh, what methodology am I doing? How long is it going to take me? The degustation, this is something we'll, we'll double down on a little bit later, but the tasting and the appreciation of the elements of the food that we have created and, and allowed uh, the time for. And remembrance. I remember food all the time. Some of the best meals I've had are in my kitchen. They're abroad. They're with family and friends. Sometimes it's not even about the food. It's the feeling, the experience. You know, a Sunday dinner, I had a really lovely experience with uh, a couple of friends of ours we went to an Italian restaurant. We had some very, very simple food, very simple pasta. But the the sun was out. Everyone was, you know, glammed up. It was a Sunday lunch. You know, it was nothing particularly fancy, but it was just that that experience and that remembrance. You know, I can I can uh, I can feel how I felt in that moment. Now that remembrance is 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 incredible it puts a smile on my face and i'm sure as you're listening to this hopefully you're thinking of the last magical meal you might have experienced with your friends family it might have been tied to uh, a remarkable event or it might have just been something very simple that you made yourself at home we all have the steps around food and i think it's important to really uh, to, to really um, magnify uh, or put a magnifying glass on those because that, again, is something that allows us to be more interoceptive. This is actually something we've talked about uh, in the episode with Julia Samuels, MBE, the author of Every Family Has a Story and This Too Shall Pass. She tells us about food and sitting around a family meal as a powerful way to connect for memories, create a sense of love, safety, security. She also talked about the smell of certain foods and how that brings us back to a time in childhood and moments spent with loved ones. The smell, taste, and experience of being together 
talking, appreciating life, each other's companies. This is why food is so powerful and healthy eating should really not take anything away from that. And at the core of eating, there are five principles to keep in mind, right? So there's the sensory experience, there's the sharing aspect, the social cultural meaning, symbolism, and storytelling. So, you, you know, I'm not expecting everyone to think about you know, every time they sit down to have a fish and chips or whatever, sensory sharing, social, cultural meaning, symbolism, storytelling. I'm not asking everyone to really uh, dig down into every single meal time, But when you break them out, those elements are really critical, are really important concepts to, to keep in mind. And the reason why I think these are important principles to keep in mind is because it's difficult in the current context where f- healthy food decisions are very much characterized by the sacrifice of pleasure for the sake of long-term health. Most people will describe, if not outwardly, but certainly to themselves, that they should be exercising restraint to maintain a, a healthy way of living. And whilst I agree that in the context of an environment where the food landscape is conspiring against us, we do have to exercise that. It doesn't need to spill out into every element of our eating circumstances. And in doing so, my point here is that we're resisting the siren calls of food by shifting our attention away from internal body signals like hunger, arousal, or salivation, and encourage to focus on the health goals and objectives ignoring the sensory pleasure that food procures and potentially encouraging us to be less intuitive about the foods that we consume. That's my point there. And I think once we are educated in what is a healthful food, a whole food, uh, a food that's been minimally processed, etc., etc., that's where we can lean into these other elements that really magnify the pleasurable aspects of food. Because healthy eating is delicious eating, and, and it's something I'm putting into my next book, actually, a whole chapter on why we have to reframe healthy recipes away from the descriptors of why this is beneficial for your gut, why this is beneficial for your immune system, whilst I, I still will probably describe some elements of the food as such because it's interesting and informational, the focus should really be on the flavorful aspects of food. And, and that's what I'm trying to instill in recipes that we create going forward and have done for a number of years. The messaging around food healthy foods can make us underappreciate foods labeled as healthy, going so far as to feeling less full when eating them. And we've we've talked about this uh, on the podcast before um, in reference to the milkshake study, where the perception, even though the uh, food was identical, the perception changed the physiological outcome. Uh, if you haven't come across the milkshake study, I won't repeat it here, but you can look it up. And the, the, the general findings are purely the, the way the food was described changed the physiological outcome, the hunger hormone, the satiety level of the uh, participants. Uh, and, and it magnified the idea that the, the mindset in which you uh, consume a food is super important and it can have a physiological, a physical response. That's, you know, something you can't, you can't fake. So an exercise in self-awareness and acceptance is 
trying to really um, dive into the sensory pleasures of eating and nourishing our bodies instead of focusing externally on avoiding perceived temptation. So using the pleasure of food as an ally to healthy eating. How delicious is this uh, red rice that I'm consuming? How What are the flavor profiles of this uh, seasonal locally grown tomato, you know, what are the the sensory, um, uh, what are the sensory experiences that we're we're missing by just consuming it absent, uh, consuming your food absent-mindedly, and th- this is actually one of the objectives of the app. The recipes are created to be full of flavors and textures, whilst also being rich in a variety of nutrients. It's almost like the nutritional aspect of it is an add-on. The way we present the instructions and the, the images and everything else, it's really there to uh, entice the user, make you salivate, make you really appreciate the uh, the sensory experience of, of, of creating and eating a, a delicious meal. Going back to the idea of food in its whole form being a very necessary part of uh, our, our lifestyles rather than trying to see it as an inconvenience and optimizing the way out of it by creating astronaut food or whatever. Eating is is genuinely a multi-sensory experience. It involves all the senses with different routes to the brain, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the mouth. And at first there's the processing of sight and sound and tactile elements of food. Then there's the processing of smell and taste and mouthfeel. There is hedonic value of food that activates pathways in specific brain regions. And this is why food is such an important part. And I feel like the the less people cook, the less people uh, have a relationship with how food is grown and sourced, the the more we're losing uh, that element of food. And and it leads to uh, a lack of respect and lack of enjoyment for something that I think is so important. And and this is why I'm I'm bringing it up on the on a mental health episode. Okay, so let's talk let's talk about some practical uh things now that we can slowly start adding to everyday life to help us reconnect with the pleasure of eating and the nourishing elements of food and stuff. Let's let's start thinking about how we eat. So talking about the pleasure of food is is interesting, but like I said earlier, it's hard to apply in a real life situation when you've only got half an hour to eat or you're eating at work or you've got children who require your attention or you're already overwhelmed by the stresses of life or creating a, a meal. So you know, in the in the past year, we've heard a lot about uh, mindfulness and how to integrate mindfulness into our lives. There are no golden rules when it comes to what works for everyone. It can be very hard to stay consistent, but the benefits of mindfulness and, and stillness are undeniable. And what we can benefit from mindfulness is also applicable to food. We can use mindfulness and creativity to make eating a pleasurable experience that improves our mental state and overall health. So here are some quick and easy tips to make our meals more mindful and ultimately more enjoyable. Number one, create an enjoyable, relaxing eating environment. So to help cultivate and curate positive emotions around food and signal to the nervous system a shift to rest and digest, clear the table, put away distractions, use your favorite plate, dress the table, lighting a candle, setting the environment. They might sound uh, a little bit left field, but honestly, curating that environment is signaling to your body 
now is a time to relax and eat. It's a very simple thing to do. I'm often accused of eating al desco, uh, the technical word for eating at one's desk. But I, I am starting to um, implement some of these tips and it definitely helps with uh, with uh, mindlessly eating. And I'm surprised at how many people who suffer with things like bloating and immediately assume that it is a food trigger. Now, there are food triggers. I'm not denying that that doesn't exist. But in a lot of cases, the environment and the state in which we eat can also be responsible for physical symptoms, uh, eating too quickly, eating the wrong mindset, etc. So curating an enjoyable and relaxing eating environment, I think is a great, great tip. Second, take three deep belly breaths before eating. Again, signals to your digestive system that you're going to be in a relaxed state. That also signals to your brain. It also slows down uh, your, uh, your, your own pace of the day. It allows you to ground yourself in that moment and prepares your digestive system to receive and digest food. Very simple signaling exercise that I think is a great antidote to what is otherwise a fast-paced environment in which we eat. Another tip pay attention to the way you sit. Sometimes we take a a seat and we don't really realize how hunched over we are, how our feet aren't grounded on the floor. Uh, We might be slouched to one side. Uh, We might not be in the most comfortable uh, seat uh, in terms of the height from the table to the the, where you're sitting. Um, Very interesting areas that I think uh, probably require a little bit more research, but I think intuitively, if you're cramping and your digestive system, you're bent over, you're actually putting pressure on your abdomen, and that can signal again that you're 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 not quite comfortable in your digestive system. It's not to say that you have to eat in a purely stretched environment that is optimized for your organs. I'm not trying to suggest that, but simply paying attention to the way you sit. I believe will again signal to yourself very consciously that it's time to relax and time to eat. As a gratitude exercise, something I've started doing, well, I've been doing for a little while now, if I'm honest, but I try to consciously introduce at meal times, particularly dinner times, I think we've got a little bit more time in the evenings, is to appreciate what it took to bring this food to your plate. So we're very if you're listening to this podcast and you're into food, we're generally in a privileged position where we can access food, can afford food, uh, can experience different uh, types of foods through the shared sort of enjoyment of other cultures, appreciating what it took to take every element of the ingredients that you put on your plate, who was involved in the growing process, the production, the sun, the soil it took to grow the food, where in the world it came from, honestly, just imbues the the, the the time of eating your, your dinner time with just pure gratitude and i i absolutely love it uh you know whether i'm eating tender stem broccoli mushrooms uh whether i'm eating grains uh wherever you know i always try to look at where the ingredients were grown and i try and support local and and eat and season and all the rest of it sometimes you'll have grains or spices even that are are grown uh, and produced from 
thousands of miles away. And it's just incredible to look at my spice cabinet and just think, wow, this came from Sri Lanka. Wow, this came from this area of North Africa. Wow, this is a uh, a spice blend that uh, originated in Egypt, for example. You know, th- there are so many sation- sensations that we now take for granted because it's become the norm. And it's almost like we've hedonically adapted to uh, our current environment. Whereas actually, if we take a step back, our environment is absolutely incredible and the fact that we get to enjoy all these different elements of food is um, pretty astonishing in the context of human history you know even our ancestors from 50 60 years ago would be pretty astonished uh, at the fact that we have so much variety at our fingertips Um, and again I I think it's just the fact that it's become the norm that we've become less appreciative of it and that's just a, a, a normal human behavior and I, I guess very similarly to that is to enjoy the sensations. You know, when you're cooking, serving, eating your food, be attentive to things like the color, the texture, the aroma, the sound, taste the individual ingredients and seasonings and think about all those different elements that I mentioned. So those are a few uh, things that I think would be very useful for people. The environment, belly breaths, taking uh, care in the way you sit, uh, an appreciation of all those different elements, as well as the uh, sensations and everything, and the, the theater around eating. One of the uh, practices I um, I was quite commonly prescribing uh, during the last couple of years as a GP uh, was um, a journaling practice to increase mind-body awareness of uh, when somebody was eating. So the feelings of how you you are before, during and after a meal, um, salivating before placing food in your mouth, you know, how hungry were you before you ate? Had you left it a bit too long between meals? Were you in a, a what kind of state of mind were you? Um, it, it brings to the surface uh, the experience around eating that otherwise we we pretty much don't, you know, take moment to to appreciate and actually um uh, be aware of so there are many other questions you can you can uh try you know removing the flavors and the textures of food remembering where the food came from all those different questions but a journaling practice around food to increase mind body awareness in general i think is a really good uh, and interesting exercise particularly for foodies all those practices i suggested are new things perhaps to 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 add but as one of you expressed in the tips, uh, one of the best ways to add a habit is by building on what you already do. Here is Rachel. But just, you know, adding something on an existing habit that you already have, adding it on to that rather than, you know, whatever it is being yet another thing to add to your to-do list. So, you know, for example, I um, I know I wanted to do more resistant training, weight, weight, bone loading type things. But rather than me thinking, gosh, you know, I've got now to do go to the gym or, or whatever it might be, I've simply just added that onto my morning walk. So I wear my wrist weights, ankle weights uh, when I'm going on my morning walk and I add them to my yoga practice. That's some great advice there. Okay, so to round off this journey on the links between diet, mental health, interoception, the way we value food, all the rest of it. I'm just going to give you the main takeaways from the research in terms of what foods to eat for good mental health. And these were 
First of all, eating plenty of fruits and vegetables every day, especially leafy greens like kale, spinach, berries, carrots, oranges, high in vitamin C. As you've heard many times, we need at least five portions per day, but actually it's 10. Uh, and so that's why all the recipes that we try and create have got at least three portions of fruit, vegetables, nuts and seeds per person uh, uh, in, in the recipes that we construct. Um, in practice, you know, adding onions, uh, tomatoes, anything to add extra vegetable density to your meals is going to be good in the long run for mental well-being. There's a number of reasons as to why supporting gut health, um, minimizing inflammation, also what you replace your diet with as well. So you're introducing whole minimally processed foods. The second takeaway is getting enough omega-3 fatty acids. Now, a lot of people do not eat enough omega-3 fatty acids. It can be very hard to do. It's why I personally supplement. But we talked about, uh, in, in that episode, we talked about the studies looking at omega-3 fatty acids and the risk of depression. It's an essential nutrient for brain function. And we've known that for quite some time now. So I'm sure this isn't the first time you're, you're hearing it. The recommendation is that we get two portions of oily fish per week, things like mackerel, um, trout, herring, uh, and, a, and a portion being 140 grams. But the, there are a number of caveats to that. A, uh, environmental uh, reasons, fish stocks, the issue of pollutants, um, and plant sources like flax, walnuts, uh, certain types of seeds, they don't contain the long-chain omega-3 fatty acids that we need. So I actually think getting enough omega-3 fatty acids, whilst it is preferable to do through uh, whole foods, it's easier to do with either um, a vegan algae supplement or a official supplement, as long as you're getting it from a very robust source. There are a number of independent lab companies uh, like Labdoor, I believe it's called labdoor.com, uh, that you can use that independently verify uh, the quality of supplements. Uh, they usually look at American-based supplements, but we did a podcast episode on supplements and the general uh, way in which you should approach what is a good supplement or not with uh, uh, Kamal Patel, who is the uh, co-founder of examine.com, which is a resource that I personally use a lot. So you can definitely check out some more stuff on that podcast uh, and, and definitely look at the quality of your omega-3 supplement. Third takeaway is eating enough magnesium, zinc, and iron-rich food. So these are the types of micronutrients that are found in leafy green vegetables, uh, nuts and seeds, beans and whole grains. So again, you can see this pattern of ingredients that we're talking about are really all veering closer and closer to a whole minimally processed plant-focused diet. Zinc and iron are often found in similar foods, things like nuts, seeds, beans, but you also get it in red meats and shellfish as well that I eat judiciously. So you know, once every two weeks or so. I've shared a quick card with all this information on the foods, uh, including food swaps as well. I know it can seem a bit vague and repetitive, but it's all backed up by the evidence. If you want that quick card, uh, it's always on the uh, footer to my weekly newsletter, Eat, Read, Listen. I feel like sometimes I'm calling it Eat, Listen, Read or Eat, Watch, Listen. But I, yeah, Eat, Read, Listen is the newsletter. You'll find the newsletter at thedoctorskitchen.com forward slash newsletter. It's always in the bottom there, as well as a seven day meal plan. And we're planning on doing some more meal plans as well. So definitely watch out for those. So I have a, a a way of thinking about what we're talking about today. The science is complex. The mechanisms, the observational studies, the the way in which we can interpret different sources of data, 
that's all very, very complex solutions, really easy. So getting uh, a lovely mix of plant-focused foods, uh, minimally processed, et cetera, et cetera, all the types of foods that we talk about on the podcast we can work out. The hard thing is implementation. So one of the questions that I asked our lovely newsletter community were about barriers to healthy eating and healthy habits in general, uh, especially when struggling with things like mental health. I think it's really important to be aware of the barriers to uh, staying well and being compassionate with ourselves and others about why we might not be able to maintain consistency. So one of the things that I wanted to do with uh, some of the feedback uh, using our subscribers is to, to open up about some of the barriers that we face. There are, there are a ton more depending on who you are and your background and where you live in the world. Uh, but, but this is just the start of a conversation to allow us to face and embrace what, we, what can get in the way of, of, of good intentions. So many of you mentioned time, lack of time, pressure of work, social, family life. Let, let's hear uh, from, from some of you guys. My biggest barrier is my work-life balance. Um, the only thing that stops me from being able to work out in the morning is if I have an early morning meeting and stopping me from getting to go out in for a walk at my lunch break is if I don't even get to have a lunch break. A big barrier to my personal healthcare journey is my job expectations. I mean, I work 12 hours a day and that's not including the time that it takes for me to get up and get ready and then um, come back and, you know, unwind. And by the end of the day, I'm just not interested in going to the gym. I'm not interested in making a big fancy meal. I kind of just want to relax a little bit. And that's something that I struggle with a lot. I also struggle with relaxing <laughs> because I feel guilty because I think you know, I need to go and uh, work out or I need to make sure I get my steps in or I need to, you know, I come up with these chores that I have to do when all I really want to do is just sit and recharge my brain and spend some time doing something that I really like. I think for me, the biggest barrier I face with sticking to those daily practices is finding the balance between managing the things that I know will support my mental health and also managing keeping up a social life and um, a healthy relationship with my partner. Oh there are so many barriers um, aren't there to that interfere with um, your good intentions. So yeah for me I think one of the biggest barriers is that because the things that I do I do every day um, so going out for a run every day, making sure I get up from my desk um, every hour and making sure that I go to bed at a reasonable time. There's that temptation to think that, oh, it's not going to hurt just this once. Oh, it'll be fine. I'll just stay up late. I'll make a coffee. I'll watch um, something on TV. I'll spend a bit more time on my screen. I won't switch it off that hour before that I know I'm supposed to. And very slowly you start getting into bad habits and your intentions go out of the window. So what I find really helps is just not thinking about it. When my alarm goes off in the morning, 
so often, you know, I'll switch snooze, I'll switch snooze, and then something sort of about 10 minutes, 15 minutes in kicks in and I get out of bed. And because I know that I'm going to do that, what I do is I set my alarm 15 minutes early um, and I go to bed 15 minutes early. So I know what my sabotaging instincts are. And so I meet those head on and set my alarm that 15 minutes early so that um, it's already built in and I can carry on with these good habits. And, and I found that over these two years, it's really paid off. Discipline is, is, is kind of a tough one. It, it's hard to overcome, I guess, because if you don't have it um, set in stone, it's very easy for you to push it to a later time or, okay, I'll do it at lunch or, okay, I'll do it before I go to bed. And then it comes to bedtime. You're like, ah, crud, I didn't do it. I'll just do it. I'll do it tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be the day I do it. So the biggest obstacle for me is getting to bed on time and resisting the urge to binge watch Netflix until an hour that is too late for me to be able to get up in time to do all the things that I want to do before I start work. That was Emma, Divya, Shay, Ginny, who I think needs her own podcast, uh, Mercy and Sonia at the end. That, I think this is a tough one. I think uh, it. I think it's definitely uh, important to allow space for flexibility, uh, to allow life to happen. You know, there are a few moments where we might not follow the habits that matter to us because we're traveling or we've got family over or we want to do something new or something exciting for one day. And I think it should be down to the intention of the activity that you're allowing disruption for. And, you know, if it is, am I skipping practice today? What is the reason? Is that reason serving me better? And I think being intentional about that is uh, is really important. There's a balance to strike here. And I think kindness and compassion to oneself is utmost because judgment and self-criticism is really not going to help stick those uh, help people stick to habits in the in the long term as well and when it comes down to discipline and committing to supportive practices self-awareness self-understanding those things matter um so uh, yeah i think being intentional about times when we don't stick to some of our habits to do something else and observing how we feel i think that can even reaffirm to us why we started practicing the the habit in the first place whether it's meditation morning stretching daily walks all those activities that we know are, are, are so helpful for us i'm focusing on the pleasurable aspects i mean i love my you know my, my walks and my morning exercise and stretching without those i don't feel set up for the day but that doesn't mean to say that i'm completely reliant on them uh, and i think having that relationship with our habits is uh is really important as is the next concept, so, so feeling overwhelmed and taking too much on. I, w- I want you to listen to a couple of these clips. So I guess the number one thing that um, sometimes gets in the way is anxiety, actually. So, you know, the, the times when you need your um, foundations the most, your well-being foundations, uh, is often the time when you think you don't have the time you think that um, there's there's too much else to do and it's that sense of being overwhelmed um and for me I know that's my um my biggest block if you like um and it's funny you know you have all these tools but even having all those tools you need those constant reminders to use them when anxiety creeps in so I think that would be my biggest thing 
when anxiety rolls in, uh, everything speeds up for me. So, you know, rather than taking time to be still, there's a sense that I speed up. And it's, it's kind of, I feel that happening, but it takes me a while to then press pause and step back. Barriers are usually um, not being able to say no, taking too much on, starting to feel rushed um, and getting myself into a sort of circle of panic. I think those uh, two clips are, uh, are really telling from Rachel and be there. Um, certainly the feeling of being overwhelmed and taking too much on uh, is something a lot of people can resonate with. I certainly can. Colleagues can. Certainly patients as well. And it's a very common theme. And I think that's why just to underline the point about the importance of self-compassion can't be overemphasized. Um, another one of our uh, listeners also contributed uh, by talking about barriers and summarizing them in three words, interruptions, distractions, and addictions. Uh, I really enjoy this framework. So interruptions are things like daily life activities that get in the way, uh, distractions, things that perhaps aren't part of our daily life activities, but we've introduced them into our lives artificially, things like social media or anything that takes a lot of time away from us, whether it be doing your daily word or, or uh, uh, things like uh, reading media articles and, and that kind of stuff. Some of them can be contributing to your, your sense of well-being and, and just you know, enjoyment of life, but you have to be clear about what is a distraction versus something that is... Uh, uh, out of, are completely out of your hands and then addictions. So getting glued and lost into activities, uh, whether it be technology, whether it be thought processes, all those different um, themes can uh, can uh, coalesce and uh, create barriers to your habits. So I did I did like that framework from Jayla interruptions distractions and addictions thank you so much to everyone who shared their experiences i think it's really valuable to have so many voices sharing what works for them what they struggle with because this is how we connect and this is how we understand more about ourselves through those those uh shared experiences and, and shared barriers and i think when we listen to uh other people's experiences it, it sort of makes us feel a bit better about ourselves. I know certainly when I listen to podcasts uh, or from from other people in my network and I find out about what they're struggling with, uh, it really makes me feel a bit better about myself because it's, it's through shared experiences that we can uh, be a bit more compassionate on ourselves uh, for sure. Um, another barrier I think is uh, the current food environment, uh, you know, what's available to us, what's easy to get our hands on, what's added to the food we buy. And I think with with lack of time, we are we don't really have the brain capacity to uh, fight against our environment. So we reach for the easiest food to eat in supermarkets and those tend to be those heavily marketed uh, processed snacks and stuff. So again, be compassionate with yourself. You're fighting against a, a billion dollar industry there uh, where... Um, uh, food labs worldwide find the best way to to make cheap palatable food uh, at very very low cost so uh yeah j just just be compassionate about uh, yourself in that in that regard i always try and remind people of that i would say do what you can and be glad that you're doing something for example i don't get to do as much exercise as i'd like every single day 
But if one day all I've done is walked for 10 minutes, then I've done something and this is good. And I think looking at the positive side helps with your mental health and overall well-being. I think that is a, a great reminder from Najma there about uh, the importance of celebrating those small wins uh, because whatever works for you is is going to be unique. Uh, but with a bit of empathy, patience, understanding of yourselves, um, you, you'd be able to put into practice and, and maintain that consistency as well. Um, talking about consistency and what makes healthy habits easier and more enjoyable, we've had a few good tips, actually. Uh, this is uh, Divya uh, about increasing convenience and uh, Emma. I found the biggest thing that I do for myself, which helps me on my health journey and incorporate more healthy habits include figuring out ways to increase convenience. So for example, I'll make grains and then I'll put them in the freezer that way that I can just pull out pre-cooked rice and have it ready in an instant, or I'll use steamed vegetables and I'll just steam them in the bag. And then there you have two thirds of the meal ready. My tip for eating healthily is just making sure that you have healthy food in the house um, and no junk food. I mean, if we ever have junk food in the house, it's the first thing I want to eat. So I will go out purposely to get myself a treat that I will be eating that evening. However, otherwise, our house only has healthy food. And a way of making sure you have a healthy lifestyle, making sure you just surround yourself with other people who also want to have a healthy lifestyle and are there to motivate you. What a lot of you guys uh, picked up on is this concept of starting small. So um, you know, steadily adding just one more portion of fruit, vegetables, nuts or seeds. That's something that my TED Talk was, was all about. Uh, but uh, a, a good quote of this is one by, uh, I'm going to mess up his name. He, he sadly passed away recently. Tich Nahat Han is a, a, a Thai Buddhist monk um, who is very well known for his incredible insights. Uh, and a quote is, the seeds that are watered frequently are those that will grow strong. So you have these small seeds of a habit change and you just have to keep on reminding yourself to water them every day, every day, every day. So it's about making those little additions that make big differences in the uh in the in the in the bigger picture um so having you know one portion of fruit vegetable nut or seed uh, extra every day might seem like a very small thing or going to the park and, and going for a walk or stretching for 60 seconds every single day might seem like a very small thing but actually that is the seed of change that will grow into a much larger and more consistent habit of which the roots to use the same analogy are very very strong I really hope this episode has been useful. I just want to formally say a massive thank you to everyone that uh, submitted their tips and tricks and, and were were amazing in sharing their barriers as well. I'm sorry we couldn't play every single clip. That would have been a couple of episodes long. But um, I think that the, the reminders uh, are that this is a process and it's not at an individual level, but it's also at a societal level. So we're, we're actually deconstructing years of issues with nutrition and ways in which to make ourselves healthier. Um, so what we need is actually patience, trust. And I think this process is 
helped along through shared experiences. So I really appreciate everyone uh, giving up their time and uh, and their tips as well. I think they're super, super useful. Remember, in the show notes, you'll find links to research papers, reviews, and guidelines for the nutrients that I talked about, as well as some of those behavioral studies, as well as uh, review studies looking at interoception. Uh, and I just want to say that food is you know, just one piece of the puzzle when it comes to mental well-being. Uh, as is interoception, as are all the tools. And I think we have to look collectively uh, at how we can nourish this garden that is our mind. Uh, but there are many, many other forms of care that are needed to help us flourish. Um, so if you if you do, if you did enjoy this, please do share on uh, social media, uh, comment on Twitter, uh, which tips were most useful for you. If you want to hear me do more of these or you want to contribute, uh, then you can uh, just keep an eye out on the Eat, Read, Listen newsletter that I send out every week. Uh, If this is a success, success, I'd love to do some more sort of audience participation. Uh, I really want to do a live event at some point. I think uh, a live Q&A or an immersive experience where you get to have a meal, uh, you get to listen to some some great guests uh, and, and share uh, in the experience of meet each other on network, I think it w- would be brilliant. I'd love to introduce everyone that we just heard from to each other. And as you can hear from the different accents, they come from all over the world, which is uh, amazing. Uh, so so I really do appreciate that. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can do something like this again. Remember, you can download the app for free uh, from the uh, App Store. Unfortunately, Android, we don't have one yet. I am working very, very hard on that. It will hopefully be out later on this year as a two-week trial. Uh, and if you uh, if you want to try it out, it's all there. We are still sharing tons of recipes and we're uploading a backlog of recipes onto the new website that we uh, launched at the start of this year. Uh, and of course, uh, I will see you here next time where we're going to be talking about a different subject, uh, but hopefully equally as interesting. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate you listening all this way and I'll see you here next time. <laughs>